We have a great one for you on this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We have Lori Uretsky, who currently is working in the military um, setting. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to talk to her. But uh, we also got into so many other interesting conversations just around everything she's done, all the different levels she's been at, how things have kind of ebbed and flowed from each of those uh, settings. And just a lot of the education she's been able to pick up over the course of her career. Um, personally, I was very jealous of all the things she's gotten to uh, and just the amount of knowledge she's been able to accumulate. That was fantastic to hear. And also, personally now, really would love to do something in the military setting, um, as I know a lot of people would. This this was a great insight into that. So we really hope you enjoy the episode. You will take a lot away from this, even if you're not that interested in the military setting. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out for any of your sports medicine needs. They've got all kinds of new things coming out uh, that are going to just help you do what you need to do as an athletic trainer. Uh, we appreciate everything they do for us and have in the past, so please check them out. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat we are on with Lori Uretsky today uh really excited for this conversation uh Lori has done a lot in her career and just been at so many different settings with um unique um experiences at all we were just talking off air about her return um, from Brazil uh working with the uh para fencing team um and that was a second trip down to Brazil for her uh but then also just a variety of things. And really, I think some we might spend a little bit more focus on um, is the military setting and then also just some of the other credentialing that she has. Um, I can't remember if I saw it on LinkedIn or something like that, but there was a lot of letters um, behind behind your name, which I, I can understand that one as well. But I'm curious to hear about that as well. But before I keep going, I'm going to turn it over to Lori to kind of just fill in her background on what she's done um, and what she where she's at today. And then we'll kind of hop into the questions. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for having me on the show today. I'm, I'm excited about it and looking forward to it. So uh, yeah, my name is Lori Uretsky. I've been a certified athletic trainer for over 23 years. I have uh, mainly college experience. I've worked at the division one level, two, three junior college. Uh, I worked a little bit with uh, major league soccer as an athletic trainer and massage therapist. Uh, I've worked with a national slash Olympic team with USA field hockey for the women's team and was fortunate enough to go to the 2016 summer Olympics in Rio and now work with the military where I'm at the 41st rescue squadron. It Georgia at Moody Air Force Base, which is one of five active duty combat search and rescue helicopter units. And the first one to get the brand new search and rescue helicopter. So it's uh, been around a lot and it just means I'm old and, and have a lot of experience because of that. Yeah, the uniqueness of the experience, you know, all levels of collegiate, um, working in MLS and um, the international 
um, experience as well is always something that's just, it's great to hear the stories and the unique experiences. Um, one question I had, uh, and we kind of alluded to it with your variety of skills. So maybe let's just start there before I ask the question, what have skills or, you know, certifications that can have kind of, can be its own version of a four letter word, depending on who you ask, um, that you've acquired over the course of your career. Um, if you could just kind of give an outline of that and maybe some of the ones that you found to be most beneficial, and then we'll kind of jump into some other aspects of that. Sure. Uh, so as you know, in my signature block, um, they call it pretty much alphabet soup. So uh, I'm also a board certified and state licensed massage therapist. I have been that, um, I think I finished in 2009, I believe. So for me, um, uh, most of the reasons why I go and, and get extra credentials or do more um certifications is because I get tired of doing the same things and I, I want the best outcome for my patients. And obviously being involved in athletic training for so long, um, a lot of the new in thing has changed. So if you look in, I believe it was 2008, um, after the summer Olympics there, uh, KT was a uh, KT tape was a big thing. And then after 2012, uh, cupping was a big thing. So, uh, I think just over the years, as, as our profession evolves, as the care evolves, it's just trying to stay on top of everything that's going on. So uh, in addition to my massage license, uh, I have my performance enhancement specialist, which at the time growing up, I did not want to do a CSCS. I did not want to do strength conditioning and uh, the corrective exercise specialist uh, credential from the National Academy of Sports Medicine wasn't out yet. So I went with the PES. Um, about 10 years later, whenever the CES came about, I went and did that as well. Um, I have certifications in uh, Graston, KT tape, dry needling, battlefield acupuncture, um, pretty much you name it, I, I probably have it. So uh, whether it's FMS or SFMA, I have those as well. Um, I'm currently in a spinal manipulation course. Um, which is a four-part uh, credentialing that I'm going through. I finished the first one. I'm doing the second course um, later this summer. So I think a lot of it also is pertaining to the setting that you're at, the clientele that you have, and, and what you're doing. So when I was with the national team, dry needling was not legal in the state of Pennsylvania for athletic trainers, so it wasn't even a thought. Um, when I took the job here at Moody, it was actually in the contract that I had to be dry needle certified within 90 days. So uh, obviously it's, it's legal to do in Georgia. So I went about and did that. And it by far is one of the modalities that I use the most. Um, it, it is just for me, uh, very essential for the patient population I, I work with, with a lot of uh, overuse, chronic spinal pain with their neck and back and, and muscular uh, tightness. So that is, has been a huge benefit. Um, obviously same thing with grass and, and, and cupping, um, for right now, uh, I'm not certified in, in blood flow restriction. Uh, I joke and say that it'd be really hard for me to do that, to go put a cuff around someone's neck. I tell them I could do it once, but I don't think it would really give them much benefit. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it again, pertains to what setting that you're in. So, um, Again, with my background, I've been very fortunate at the places that I've worked and, and the experiences that I've had. So I just, just kind of looked at where I was and, and what they had wanted. Uh, the military is going 
more they want dry needling they want grassed in some places want you to have sfma or fms so it was just something that i went ahead and, and did but um i believe in having as many tools in a toolbox that you can have to give your your patient the best outcome for them uh each patient each injury is individual uh, i'm not going to try to do the same exercises or the same treatment for everybody so it's nice to be able to have other manners that you can go and treat. Do you find yourself being able to use aspects of all of those things? Or is it kind of, like you mentioned context and where you're at? I'm just, you know, I haven't taken the FMS, very familiar with it. And, you know, same with SFMA, but have done the corrective exercise specialist. And, you know, then with all the soft tissue stuff, it can be really hard to turn that all into its own little system um is that something you've tried to do or as you kind of sort of reference you know some of it is case dependent or you know how do you balance basically all the knowledge you've accumulated um do you try and utilize it all or again is it very setting specific or even patient specific i'd say it's a combination of all of that so that's not really a great answer but um in fair, all though. honesty, there's, yeah, there's, there's things here that I don't do. Um, I'm, I'm, like I can do battlefield acupuncture, which are basically little acupuncture needles. They go five in each ear and it's supposed to help with pain. Um, the problem with that is the people that fly can't wear them, can't fly while the needles are in their ear. So I don't offer it a lot. Sure. Um, you know, so th there's that kind of thing. Um, I can't tell you, knock on wood, the last time I did concussion testing um, because I also have, there's flight medicine here. So I'm really here for musculoskeletal issues and mm -hmm. that's kind of all that I'm dealing with. Whereas, you know, in a traditional setting, you're pretty much the first line of defense for everything, whether it's dental, whether it's mental health, whether it is cardiac, whether it's gastroenterology, whether it's uh, an ankle sprain, whatever it is. So um, I don't really tape anymore either. Um, so I think for me personally, sometimes I kind of forget that I have some of those skills, um, sure. you know, um, so it, it's kind of difficult. Um, but I, I like to look at the person and the issue itself and come up with a plan and get a lot of feedback from the patient as well. Uh, I have patients that dry needling does absolutely nothing for them. So I won't even think about it. Um, you know, or cupping or stim or, you know, whatever it may be. So um, I'm very fortunate with the modalities that I have in my room. Uh, like I have nothing, I've never had it in any other setting where I have mechanical uh, neck and back traction. I use that a lot. Now, if I went back to athletics, I probably wouldn't even have that or ever right. use it. So, um, you know, I, it's just one of those things is, as I said before, I'd like to have the options. Um, I think sometimes too, as I had just mentioned, that because I have so many options, sometimes I forget something simple, um, which might just be being old, I don't know. But uh, it's, <laughs> there, there are things that I definitely utilize more than others. Um, with the chronic neck and back pain that we deal with here. Um, sometimes corrective exercise is not really an option because okay. I can't change how they're going to, they're not going to, they can't change how they sit in the aircraft. 
So I can't, I can't do things, but I can try to offset that as much as possible. Um, So, you know, there, there's, that's pretty much where I go. I appreciate that explanation because I've I've found the same thing. Like, it's like, Oh, I could have done this. I forgot that that was even like a thing I could even do. And so with (laughs) your experience, I was curious as to how you might've managed that. Um, A lot of writing down is (laughs) honestly, um, whether it's the treatments you do or things that you do um, or things that may work with a patient or may not, um, you know, and, the one thing dealing with the military that you don't really see in athletics is these people rotate every couple of years to go to a different base. So, you know, in athletics, that would be like someone transferring in from somewhere else and Hey, what worked for you here? Um, You know, obviously it's more common in professional sports that people can be traded or free agency and leave. But um, for the most part, when you're in high school, you're in college setting, it's the same people for those X amount of years and then they leave. So how has your massage therapy training and work aided in your care in being an athletic trainer? I know there's a few ATs that have done that, that I've come across. Um, I was going to attempt to, but the classwork just didn't work out with my schedule, even though they told me it would. Um, but I digress. Um, but it, I've seen, you know, worked with really good massage therapists, uh, did a lot of track and field in my time. So obviously big there, you know, learn some stuff, but how, have, has it benefited you versus just kind of doing soft tissue work based on your training as an athletic trainer? I actually use it a lot. Um, so going through massage therapy school, a lot of it obviously was repetitive when you go sure. over anatomy and physiology and, and bony landmarks and such. Um, but it has been very beneficial of different types of soft tissue that you can use. Um, I have my sports massage therapy certification. I'm currently in a fascial therapy program right now, uh, that I'll finish up this summer. And it's not just another tool in the toolbox, but, you know, people want to feel good. People want to feel better. And who doesn't feel better most of the time after getting some sort of massage, um, whether it's lymphedema massage after, you know, uh, a sprained ankle or, or something along those lines, um, whether it's muscle energy techniques. So I try to take some of that massage therapy education that I have, the techniques that I use and just combine it with other things. So I, you know, I'm not sitting here doing 60 minute massages on anyone that comes through, but being able to do an occipital release for someone that is having headaches um, and utilizing that along with dry needling or with cupping or just with some stretching um, has made a world of difference. So it is something that I use every single day uh, that I'm treating patients. Um, you know, and when I took the cupping course, I took it as a massage therapist, not as an athletic trainer, but while I was in the course, it was, all right, how can I relate this into Mm -hmm. athletic training? And so, um, pretty much anything that I do extra credentials, um, certifications, whatever, I try to look at that. How can I utilize this as a massage therapist? Can I utilize it as a massage therapist? How can I use or utilize this as an athletic trainer? And um, because at the end of the day, it's really about the patient care. So it's just trying to think what works better. Um, You know, we lost dry kneeling for a while for several months um, as they were going through making sure that we had all our um, I's dotted and T's crossed and and doing everything correctly. So I utilized hands-on a lot, lot more. And so, again, common injuries with flying 
population is neck and back. So I'm doing a lot of massages, try to loosen up the tightness. And if that works, then that works. So that's what I'm going to do. This is just diving a little bit more into your soft tissue work um, and more along that question. Uh, also going back to my track years, I probably got early on a little heavy in just trying to treat everything with soft tissue work. You know, I worked with a lot of distance runners and kind of had negated a lot of the strengthening or rehab, obviously two very different things, distance runners, you know, pilots sitting in um, aircraft and whatnot, but how have you tried or what have you found successful with using soft tissue work and then trying to help maintain those benefits you know, or maximize those benefits, I guess would be the best way to ask. Sure. I think um, the military setting that I'm in is a lot different than what most people think. You know, they think boots on the ground, they think um, army special operations, that kind of thing. Um, you know, or, or they think pilots where they're in a jet and dealing with G forces. Um, the type of injuries that I see for the pilots sitting up front, they are stuck in kind of an awkward position for hours, depending on how long they're flying for. So we have hamstring pain, we have neck pain because the, the weight of the helmets, if they're wearing night vision goggles, that adds to it or counterweights to try to change the weight on their neck. Um, low back pain, obviously, because the, the way that they're sitting for hours. The people in the back of the helicopter, Yes, they move around a lot because they're the ones that are picking up the person um, that they're saving with the hoist sticking out. They're the ones sticking their head out the window to go shoot a gun and making sure that, you know, they can see the enemy or whatever it may be. So there's a lot of different dynamics. So I tell people all the time, you cannot compare the pilots and the special mission aviators because they're two totally different jobs. Um, and where that lies into massage therapy and exercises, every day is different. You know, if you go and work with a college team, say you're working with baseball, uh, you have X amount of practices and X amount of games, and you're pretty much doing the same stuff every day. The schedule here is different. Sometimes they're flying, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they fly several days in a row. Sometimes they're night flies, sometimes they're day flights. Um, they go on work trips. Right now, two thirds of the squadron has gone on a work trip. So I'm not seeing them. So they're not getting any treatment whatsoever. Um, I'm fortunate with the contract that I'm on, I'm allowed to go on work trips. So in a couple of weeks, I'm going out to Vegas where they're all at. So I can do treatment and help them because then they're going to fly back across the country in their helicopter. And that is anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. So if you think about it, a pilot is sitting in that same position for eight to 12 hours a day. Could you imagine sitting in a seat behind a desk for 12 hours a day and not getting up? You're not going to feel great when you get up. So I had the difficult time of finding time for them to come in and do exercises to do corrective type of things. So a lot of times um, I fight with myself because it's, I should be more demanding of them to do it, but flying is their primary duty. And then what most people don't understand is that they have all these other jobs that they have to do within the unit itself. So it's hard to find time for them to come up and give me 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it may be, unless they are, broken, broken, you know, they just had surgery or something like that. And that's their main job is to get back, to get healthy. Um, so a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is soft tissue. A lot of the stuff is just treatment, basically, um, trying to help them feel better, um, putting a bandaid on something. And then depending on how bad the issue is, I'm 
going to make them go and do exercises or carve a time out of their day, whether it's every day, whether it's once or twice a week, three times a week, whatever it may be, and then come see me. So um, I don't necessarily see it as a negative. It's just that's how the job is. Uh, meetings constantly happen. Think aircraft break. Things constantly change. So, um, you know, there's certain people that I have standardized appointments at eight o'clock every Tuesday and Thursday, but things always happen and then they can't make it. So um, really the people that I get the most one-on-one -on -one time on are the ones that are coming back from surgery and I'm just doing their rehab. But um, I do try to uh, give everyone some stretches for their neck and back, some exercises to do for their neck and back, because again, that's probably about 80% or more of what I see is neck and back issues. Mm -hmm. um, so that way when they're traveling right before they fly, after they fly, they can do these little preventative stretches and exercises to help themselves feel better. Um, so that is one thing that I, I wish was different, but um, I try to really acclimate to what the job is like here to deal with those things. Awesome. And makes complete sense. Uh, and everything's pressed for time. Yes. Uh, and, and that's the one thing people don't realize too. So if they're flying, so the people that are flying today, they have to show up four hours before they fly. And so they're there and then they do a brief, uh, which pretty much lasts about an hour of what they're going to do that day, what the mission is. And then they have to go and get the aircraft ready. So it, it's, it's not just four hours of goofing off before you're going there. There's so much to do. So if I had them come in even an hour before that to go do stretches and exercises, I don't know how much that's going to benefit four hours later once they get in the aircraft. And then plus their flying times are all different. So if they take off at eight o'clock, they have to be here at four o'clock in the morning. Who really wants to be here at three o'clock doing exercise, right? Or if they're taking off at 10 o'clock at night and then they have a five hour flight, who really wants to be here that much earlier? And then you have to add in, they have to have uh, mandatory crew rest and um, X amount of hours that were required to have uninterrupted sleep. So that plays into things as well. And that definitely plays into things when they're on work trips where they're flying every single day or they're deployed or, or something along those lines. Um, when they were doing a hurricane um, trip a couple couple years ago, they they responded to Hurricane Dorian. So we had crew here leave, go straight to the Bahamas. They flew for twelve hours straight, just picking up people, and then finally landed. And then they had twelve hours of rest. Well, you think any of them want to do exercises or stretching? Right. No, they're going to eat eat and go to bed. So it you really I think again pertaining to the setting that you're in, try to make do with the best that you have. Awesome. Thank you for elaborating on that uh you, you've kind of alluded a little bit about in your role you're, you're very musculoskeletal focused because of the flight medicine they have is there anything you could kind of elaborate on just from what your experience or anybody else that you kind of know within the military of where the athletic trainer can fit into the bigger excuse me picture of care uh, for this population so with me, I'm very lucky. I'm embedded in the unit. And so uh, we have a two-story building. I'm upstairs and they can come see me anytime, uh, whether it's appointments, whether it's walk-ins before flying, after flying. Uh, I will adjust my schedule depending on what they're doing. If we have a week that they're only doing night flights, it's stupid for me to be there at eight o'clock in the morning. 
So, um, and, and I typically work eight to four, I work through lunch so I can just stay there because a lot of times when they take their lunch break, that's when they want to come up and see me. Sure. Um, there's times that I've come in at two o'clock in the afternoon and stay till 11 o'clock at night. Um, so it, it kind of pertains again to what the schedule's like, uh, when I go on work trips. So the upcoming one, we have all weird hours of flying. So I probably am not going to sleep much, but it's kind of when you're traveling with a team, right. And nothing ever really goes the way that you want it to. So you just, you make do. Um, but I think it, in all honesty, um, working in the military, it is different for other people where if you work with the army, they, or Navy, they may, or Marines, they may have sick call in the morning that you go to, they may have you go, uh, while they're working out with the strength and conditioning coach. I'm pretty much just available for treatments. They come in, I'll do evaluations like you normally would in a, in a typical setting, rehab in a typical setting, treatments in a typical setting. Um, I guess there's not the bad dash, like the hour before practice kind of thing or two hours before a game. There's no field set up, um, you know, so that stuff is different. Um, just like everywhere else you have, you have a supervising physician who for me is an active duty um, doctor and he is a Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force. Um, I have to do notes in their electronic medical record. Um, I think the biggest difference between what I have to do with and traditional settings, they have to be done within 72 hours. And any person that I see that is a flyer has to be, the note has to be co-signed by that flight doc. Um, they have requirements that they have to do, whether it's flight physicals, whether it's, you know, yearly physicals with uh, eyesight and hearing. Um, so I, what I'm very fortunate with is I have a very good relationship with our flight doc. So I look at him as our team physician. I look at our squadron leadership as our coaches. So I will do kind of like a, a coach's um, update of what's going on with people with that person's blessing, because obviously HIPAA and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Anytime I have a problem or need something, I can easily call the flight doc. I can uh, email him. He comes over to the squadron at times and, and will help and do things. Um, for argument's sake, um, on one of the work trips, somebody broke their ribs. The person called me. Uh, I had the person go to the emergency room. I called the flight doctor, let him know what was going on. He reached out to the hospital, did everything that they needed to do. I had somebody get hurt downrange. Uh, same that required uh, immediate surgery. They reached out to me. I reached out to the squadron leadership and, and made sure everything was good. They did the things to get the person home. I let our docs know and then let them take care of things. And then I just took care of, you know, the post-op rehab. So in a lot of sense for me, I try to run everything like I'm still working at a collegiate setting. Come in as you want, treat you as you want, do the things as you want. Uh, but I do have colleagues in the military setting that it, it is very much more so structured. You come in at 5 a.m., you're there for sick call at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m., whatever it is, you're with while they're doing uh, physical training. Um, you have treatments from 7 to 9, and then you have this at this time, and then you're gone by 2. So um, I think for me, my, my work here is really not any different than working with a team, gotcha. just a larger team that wear the same clothes every day. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, anything else? Uh, I guess another question just around, you know, people that might be interested in this setting, but anything specific to the setting that we haven't talked about that you wanted to share? 
I think the big thing with military, um, you know, with it being one of the emerging settings, I absolutely love it. Um, I get holidays and weekends off. I have eight hours a day or 40 hours a week. So if I want to work 10 fours and, and, uh, my leadership is fine with it, it's fine. Um, I occasionally travel with them with work. Um, the biggest drawback is that I don't really get to go on the military aircraft. I've been very fortunate that I got to fly on the helicopter once and, and shoot the, the gun off of it. So, I mean, that was really cool. I'm not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, a lot of people have asked me, how do you get into military? Yeah. And a lot of it, there's two main ways. You have the uh, government service one, which is the GS employee, which is um, basically a federal job. You get federal benefits. Um, there are things that you can and cannot do. Your pay is basically structured, um, you know, with, with their GS pay scale. Um, and then there's the contractor, which is what I am. So basically the military says that they want this position. They create what's called a performance work statement. And then it goes out to bid and all these contracting companies bid on it. And then whoever wins it, then they have to hire. So basically it's like a hiring temp agency. Uh, I will be with the company as long as they have the contract. Um, I'm on my third contracting company in four and a half years that I've been here. They've all been at will contracts, which means you can leave at any time. They can fire you at any time. Um, which I don't know really that many people that that has happened to. Thankfully, sure. but um, so it, it's a little bit different of, of that aspect. Um, but again, for me, being embedded in the squadron, they treat me as though I'm a member of the squadron. Um, I am very, very fortunate with the way that they take care of me here and look at me here. I mean, for the first time in my entire career, um, they acknowledged me for National Athletic Training Month, got me flowers, a bunch of people signed a card. Like, I've never had that. And think about that. Wow. I've been an athletic trainer for 23 years. So, and, you know, that's it's really special to me. Uh, they mean a lot to me. And I, I think I mean a lot to them. Um, so I, I think the, the biggest thing with military, also, a lot of them are asking for three to five years of certified experience. They're asking for other credentials. Uh, dry needling seems to be one. Graston seems to be one. Special operations tends to lean more towards CSCS as well. Uh, a lot will ask for you to have collegiate, uh, Olympic, or prior military experience. Um, and personally, I think for me, it depends on what branch you're going to and what job you're going to. And for me, uh, I would not recommend somebody just out of college or just certified into this role because of the amount of spinal issues that you deal with. Um, but doing a basic training unit, I have no doubt that someone that goes through an athletic training program could do well in that setting. Special operations is a little bit different because usually they want either a secret or top secret clearance, which costs a lot of money. Um, you know, and if they're going to put that much money into you, you should probably have more credentials. You should have plenty of experience of knowing what you're going to go through. Um, so I, I, again, I think it just kind of boils down to the setting within the setting of what you're doing. Um, the fighter units that just got a whole bunch of athletic trainer positions in the last two years. Um, I think they also wanted people with CSCS. They also hired massage therapists to work with the fighter pilots, um, so everyone, everyone's a little bit different, whether it's um, dive school or um, the explosive ordinance program or whether it's special operations, basic training, everybody is a little bit different. 
uh, like I said, when I got here, they wanted you to be dry needle certified. So um, my biggest advice is to read what the job description says and try to find out if it is companies asking for a resume because they're bidding for it or if they have the contract itself. Because it's kind of when you see the same job posted by many companies, that means that they are trying to get your resume uh, to show that the mil show to the military that they can hire somebody with the requirements that they want. Mm -hmm. So if you have a great resume and you apply for the job, they may use your resume to get the job, to get the contract, but they may not hire you. So what I've learned oh. is when you look at jobs, kind of, you know, you could always reach out to the company and ask them, you know, are you bidding? Do you have the contract? Or you could even, you know, work with them to get a, a letter of intent. That means um, it's, I don't know if it's totally legal, um, but to say, hey, if you do get the contract, you will hire me and this will be my salary and this will be this. If you don't get the contract, this means absolutely nothing. You're not going to give me a job. So uh, I think sometimes that that kind of helps too. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that when I first applied for military jobs. Would never um, have thought of it. You know, yeah. So, um, you know, but I, I think it's a great setting. Uh, I absolutely love working with people that volunteer to serve their country. I tell people all the time that the people that I work with are nuts because not only do they volunteer to serve their country, but they are flying into danger to save somebody's life that they often don't know while getting shot at. And I think that takes a very special person. So um, for me, I will do anything and everything that I possibly can to try to help them feel better. And I think that's why I've, I've kind of fit in really well into the rescue community here. Yeah. So my other advice to other people trying to get in the military is ask questions. Once you're there, ask questions. What works? What doesn't work? Um, the military is a big hurry up and wait. There are a lot of rules and regulations that they have to go through and just learn. And you're going to hear a lot of acronyms that you don't know what they mean. So don't be afraid to ask questions. But um, once they see that you're taking an interest, they really start to buy in. It's awesome to hear, uh, and thank you for that insight. Any, anything else to cover before we jump into the athletic training chat questions? Um, no, I think I think I'm good there. Awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna adjust these just a little bit, uh, just to your setting. So, same question, just kind of more targeted. So, first one is, where do you see athletic training going in the military? in the next five to 10 years. And if you want to talk broader than that, please do, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the military specifically. Well, I think both uh, in general and military is going to grow um, as athletic training tends to go. Sorry, that was the ice machine. Um, as athletic training continues to evolve and we get in more emerging settings, I think there's going to be more job growth. Um, however, I'm not sure what that's going to look like with the change of the education requirement where it's going to have to be a master's now. Um, good or bad or indifferent, you know, it's not something that we've had to deal with for the last umpteen years that athletic trainers have been around. So I'm not sure how that will change the scope of, of things. And um, for the military itself, I think a lot of it depends on funding. Um and education. So as the people that currently have athletic trainers promote and go further along in their military careers and see what 
the benefit has been and how it has helped them, I think more positions will open up. Um, the Marines are planning on putting athletic trainers in, I think, every unit. The Army has just released hundreds of positions for their new H2F, which is Holistic Health to Fitness program, which includes athletic trainers, PTs, OTs, dietitians, uh, psych, like so on and so forth, strength and conditioning coaches. Um, so, and they are at basically the battalion and, and below level. So um, as people are seeing the benefits of athletic trainers, I think those positions are going to open up more and more. So I'm excited to see what that's like. There's athletic trainers in every branch right now, except for the Space Force, uh, which I think eventually will get there too. Um, so it is absolutely crazy to see how much the growth has happened. Um, and I'm excited to see how that happens continues to happen and grow. Awesome. Um, what advice would you go back and give yourself as a younger athletic trainer? And if you could kind of set the time period that you would go back to, to give that advice. You know, when you sent me um, the list of questions and I looked at that, I kind of laughed and I was like, where do I start with, uh, with a lot of things? You're right. Um, my goal in college was to work major D1 and I've been there and I've done that. I've enjoyed every place I've been and every setting that I've been. Um, but I also have to remind myself, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. Um, you know, the long hours, the crappy pay, um, sometimes not being appreciated. Um, just the, the loss of work-life balance, um, which for me at that time, that's what I wanted. And I enjoyed, I was always at work and, and did whatever. Uh, again, I'm not trashing it. Um, but I, I feel like as a profession, we sometimes put the shining light on people that work professional sports or division one sports and look down at people that work in high schools or something like that. And I know plenty of high school athletic trainers are some of the best athletic trainers I've ever known in my life. Absolutely. And just because you work at a college setting, uh, just because you work at a professional setting does not mean that you're great. You know, I tell the people here all the time that I'm not a good athletic trainer. They're just dumb and don't know any better. Um, you know, it's just the fact that I've been doing this for so long and I absolutely love this profession. Love it. It's the only thing that I've wanted to do since I was 16 years old. I feel very fortunate of every place I've worked and all the experiences I've had, the countries, the states I've visited, so on, the people I've met, so on and so forth. Um, I just think looking back on my career that I've missed so many family functions and personal functions and everything else, because I thought my job was the end all be all. And I don't want to say I'm paying for that now. I'm not. Um, there's still times I'm like, wait, I only have to work 40 hours a week. This is insane. I have holidays and weekends off. This is crazy. Um, but that's because I spent over 15 years at the collegiate level you know? And, um, so I think I'd tell myself on that one, um, don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror at yourself and say, it's okay if you don't want to do this setting and that there are other settings that you can do and still make a difference in someone's life. Um, I think I'd look back and tell myself to have more confidence in myself and in my skills and who I am as an athletic trainer and as a person. Um, my much younger self, I tell myself, and this is one of the ones that I was like, I definitely have to say this, stand your ground to coaches, to athletes, have confidence in yourself. Um, 
not that people are going to be sneaky and do things to try to get you in trouble or go behind your back, but sometimes it does happen and be firm with the coach. Even if a coach has been there for 30 years and you're a brand new board certified athletic trainer, there's a reason why you're a board certified athletic trainer. This is what you went to school for. That's not what they went to school for. Unless they are a board certified athletic trainer, then that's a whole different story. But um, that was the thing. I always felt intimidated when I was younger by coaches. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I was the athletic trainer that I am now back then because I would have done this differently or I would have done that differently. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to network and uh, constantly engage with peers. Um, and this is my own personal thing. Don't act like you know everything because I know I don't. Our field constantly changes. Our information constantly changes. Um, I still, 23 years in, will ask another athletic trainer friend of mine to do a second opinion, to do an eval on somebody or to bounce ideas off or, uh, hey, what exercises would you do for this? Or, you know, whatever it may be. And feel comfortable doing that because I'm human and I make mistakes. Uh, I'm not afraid to make comments to my patients of like, Hey, I honestly don't know. I think that goes further with them than you pretending to know everything because they're going to know that you're human, but you're still trying, you know, like, Hey, I don't know, but let me ask, let me find out. Um, you know, and, and, and that's it. Um, and, and I think the other thing is to be forgiving to yourself too. Um, our profession is not easy. We have to know a lot of information and it changes and we're not always right. And that's okay. Doctors make mistakes, uh, especially during evals, if you've missed something. Uh, I feel at some point, all of us probably have missed something on an eval uh, or misdiagnosed an injury or whatever. And that's okay, because the best thing is tomorrow's another day. And you have a, another opportunity to make a difference in someone's life, whether it's that same person or somebody else. Um, and I think the biggest thing I'd say is continue to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and as much as you may love it and enjoy it, make sure to, to take care of yourself too, because we are so big on taking care of others. We forget to take care of ourselves. So we're going to skip one question, but we'll come back to it. But since you just mentioned that one, um, as an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> uh, I've been absolutely horrendous my entire career on that. Um, but I am slowly but surely getting better. Um, less than a year ago, I had shoulder surgery and I was dumb and came back to work a week after. And it's my second shoulder surgery. So you think I would know better, but I didn't want to not take care of my patients. Um, one of my best friends, who's an athletic trainer that works in the same building with me, uh, that's with a different unit. She has been very great in making sure I do my rehab, taking care of me, doing things that I need to do. So uh, for me, it's having someone else hold, hold me accountable, but it's also little things. I, when I first started here, I would always bring my schedule home with me. I would always be continuing to work after hours or whatever, because that's what I was used to. And now I try to, when I go home from work, I cut work off. Sometimes things happen. Um, currently, every, like I said, we have a bunch of people on a work trip. They're all in Las Vegas. It's a three hour time change somebody reaches out to me, I'm not going to not answer, you know, but, uh, I don't do anything as like that 
nearly as much as I have done in, in my previous career. I try to do things that make me happy. Um, I'm very, very fortunate that I have a dog and the squadron has called her our unofficial fake therapy dog. So I bring her into work most days of the week. So, um, you know, I'll try to do a lot of things with her or with her at work, um, having friends outside of the military setting and doing things. So um, a lot of it is just trying to work on your work-life balance, taking vacation, um, doing things with your family, doing things with your friends. So like I said, I was horrible at it, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm getting better at it. I'm trying to do more things for myself and cutting work off when it's supposed to be cut off. Appreciate the insight on that one. Um, I'm very curious about this one since you've accumulated a lot of knowledge over your uh, career thus far. Um, what has been the most influential resource you have found as an athletic trainer? So I was kind of wondering what I would answer when you when I read that question. And part of me still says, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> the other Fair. part is having people in your life that you trust and can talk to work-wise and not work-wise. So like I said, one of my best friends that works in this building, um, resource-wise, we will put our heads together and help each other with both of our patients on either side of difficult cases or questions or whatever. Um, having colleagues, um, reaching out to them and saying, Hey, what would you do for this? Or what would you do for that? Um, if you're talking specific modalities, uh, I'd be lying to say if I'd probably don't dry needle every day. Um, I like it. I use it a lot. It's probably my favorite. Um, cause it's quick and easy. And sometimes they scream and that makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I also think with the setting that you're in, um, finding out the resources that are available to you. Um, for here, work-wise, besides picking their brains, uh, I asked them to take me out to the aircraft and trying not to touch anything, um, you know, sitting in the cockpit and seeing what those things look like, trying to do the job that they do in the back of the aircraft to see how that makes me feel and why they're so broken. But um, it, probably it, if I had to pick one, I'd say um, the, the peers and colleagues in my life that I value and trust their opinion and know that they won't make me feel stupid for a dumb question or um, knowing that if I don't know the answer, or they don't know the answer, we're going to do whatever we can to find the answer. So probably that. Awesome. I think you may have answered this one already, but we're going to throw it out there anyway. Um, if you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, common practice, a mindset, or anything of your choosing in the profession of athletic training, what would it be? Um, so, yeah, I think I kind of touched on some areas here and there. I, I feel the, the stigma of being at certain levels versus others is a big one that bothers me. Um, I see a lot on social media about how supposedly us old farts say things to the young professionals about uh, this is how we did it and, you know, earn it and this and that. I've never once said that. Um, if you can get work-life balance and more pay, power to you. I'm happy for you. I will cheer you on. 
Sure. Um, but I will never, ever say that. I don't like putting down other athletic trainers uh, or other healthcare professionals. I don't like the beef that there is with the athletic trainers and physical therapists. At the end of the day, for me, it's about the client. And I am absolutely fine working a collaboration because we each bring something unique to that patient. And it's not about a pride thing for me. So I, I'd like that to change too, which isn't going to happen. Um, I, I'm kind of over the whole ice thing. So modality wise, I hate that everything is still, not everything, but a lot of places is still rice. That's still the first thing that you do. I very rarely use ice. Sure. Um, there's a time and place for it. Granted, you're about to go to a national championship. Somebody sprained their ankle three days ago. Yeah, I'm going to use ice to get rid of as much swelling as that possible. So that person can play in a national championship otherwise you know um so those are some of the big ones but Mm -hmm. um i i just i would like to see more more support to each other um i agree yeah it was just i've been doing this for so long that i it really saddens me how there's so much disagreement on social media it's okay to have other ideas Um, I don't know everything, so I'm not going to tell you everything, but as a profession as a whole, which I know that this is starting a whole nother conversation. I absolutely hate how crappy we get paid generalizing for all the knowledge and education that we have. Um, I think athletic training is one of the best professions in the world. Uh, I think we make a huge difference in our patients' lives and, I just wish that we got treated better and had the notoriety that we deserve. Um, but that's, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. So Fair. been fighting that for over 20 years, we're still going to be fighting that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Last question. What does being okay. a trainer mean to you? So I know I've said this earlier, but um, I absolutely love the profession. I will tell people, I love the profession. I don't always like my job. All right, you can have good days. You can have bad days. You can dislike someone that you work with. A coach can chew you out. Uh, You can mess up, whatever. But I got into athletic training. I took an intro to sports medicine class the fall of my sophomore year in high school. And I've been involved in it ever since. So over 30 years. And um, I laugh because... I've known how to tape ankles longer than some of the people in this unit have been alive and which makes me feel old, but, um, every day we have an opportunity to make a positive difference in someone's life, whether it's mental health, emotional health, physical health. Um, I've been there with athletes that have found out happily that they're pregnant, sadly that they're pregnant. I've helped people work through eating disorders, deaths of family members and friends, breakups, uh, returning to play after surgery, obviously is a, a big one for us as athletic trainers, uh, people getting married, engaged, divorced. Um, sometimes they celebrate that too. I don't know. Uh, but it's the opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. And I said it several years ago, it's not just you make a difference in, in their life. They're making a difference in yours. So when I worked in athletics, I would joke that they were my kids. Um, now that the age range here is 21 to 46, some of them could be my kids, but not a lot. Um, I don't do it for the thank yous. I don't do it 
for notoriety or, you know, being on TV or anything, I can get rid of that. Uh, I don't like telling people that I went to the Olympics or anything because I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I just love what I do. Um, but I think one of the things that I cherish the most about athletic training is the people that it's brought into my life and the relationships I've made. Um, my first athlete that got ever was drafted in their professional sport. Um, I have a former athlete that pitches in major league baseball, uh, the day that he got caught up to the majors and him and, and his mom and I are screaming like little kids, you know, um, kids that have been named to Olympic teams or whatever, uh, going to the Olympics and the first time hearing the national anthem is something that I hope that I never forget. It's, it is such a rewarding profession. And I think that's one of the best things about it, honestly. Um, but if you do your job right, um, you make a difference in their life and they make a difference in yours. And it's a positive one. And that is something I feel like not a lot of jobs do. And that is one of the main reasons why I love it. Fantastic. Great answer. Um, as we wrap up, if people wanted to connect with you or follow you, what would be the best place for them to do that? We'll link all this up on your show on the episode page. Okay. Uh, I have a LinkedIn and I have uh, Twitter and Instagram. I think everything's kind of private, uh, but obviously if they're athletic trainers or somebody that has questions or whatever, um, that's not too hard. Um, I'm also the social media director for the armed forces athletic training society. So, um, that's a shameless plug. I wasn't even planning on doing that, but they can reach out to me on that as well. So if they message that on, um, I'm not the only one for the one that has Facebook on it, but I am, I think the only one with the login for, uh, Instagram and Twitter. So they can reach out to me there as well. But, um, I think the biggest thing for me that I find important as being an athletic trainer is giving back and appreciating where you've been and where you're going and obviously where you are. So uh, I had some wonderful mentors growing up before the age of social media, um, but I am very willing to talk to people about the college setting, the national slash Olympic team setting or para setting, um, military, major league soccer, whatever it is, um, life in general. So um, again, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I've just been doing this a long time. I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I am human. Uh, the only other thing is you'll probably get lots of conversations about my dog, but, um, anyone, anyone is, <laughs> um, anyone is more than welcome to reach out to me on social media, uh, ask questions, seek advice, whatever. Um, and I will be more than happy to help. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being a part of this conversation. I enjoyed it and learned a, an absolute ton. So I really appreciate you taking the time and look forward to staying connected in the future. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I will be honest. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast. So uh, nice. it was fun. Um, I don't really like talking about myself. So that sucks. But thanks. <laughs> um but thank you very much for letting me share my experiences and, and babble on about the, the military and, and 23 years of doing this. So uh, I really appreciate it and uh, look forward to keeping in touch with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again for 
checking out this episode. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. does mean a lot to us for you to do that. Uh, we just wanted to, again, thank Mueller for being a part of this. We just recently completed our second Throw a Lifeline program. We can't wait to get that out. If that's something that you'd be interested in checking out or contributing to, any little bit helps. Uh, it's clinicallypress.com backslash throw a lifeline or athletictrainingchat.com backslash throw a lifeline. Thanks again for listening.